Welcome to the DadWork Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of DadWork. Today's guest is Alex Barker. Before we get into it, Alex Barker, PharmD, loves helping pharmacists create fulfilling careers and lives. He founded the Happy PharmD to provide career coaching and career development classes. And since 2017, the company has helped over 1,500 pharmacists. His best-selling book, Indispensable, A Prescription for a Fulfilling Pharmacy Career, has sold more than 4,000 copies and helped countless pharmacists love their profession again. When he isn't working, he has fun with his wife and two beautiful daughters, plays Nintendo and Dungeons & Dragons, enjoys coffee and good guacamole, not at the same time, and reads comics. Now let's get into it. In this episode, we go deep, talking about mental illness, guilt, and shame as a first-time dad, accepting your circumstances and trying to make them better, sabbaticals, identifying our mistakes as parents when it comes to punishments, the truth about the entrepreneurial journey, having a healthy business and family life, and finding your zone of genius. Like a ton of first-time dads, Alex Barker's transition to fatherhood was uh, a little bit of a struggle. He struggled mentally with the idea that he was not doing enough as a father. His struggle originated actually from his own dad leaving when he was young, and all his life was looking for acceptance. Alex lets all dads know in this episode that you are a great dad most of the time, and it's okay to have bad days too. This is just such an excellent mantra uh, that we talked about in this episode. It's also okay to let your children know that you are not perfect and you make mistakes. And the question that I have for you is, do you apologize to your kids when you realize that you've gone too far with punishment or a reaction to something? Stay tuned to this episode and find out about Alex Barker's take on this exact question. To connect with Alex, you can find him online at thehappyfarmd.com, on LinkedIn, Alex Barker at The Happy Farm D, and on Facebook at The Happy Farm D as well. I really enjoyed talking to Alex about everything. He is a fun-loving guy. This was a lot of fun, and I hope you get a lot of value out of this one. Here we go with Alex Barker. Alex, welcome to the Dad Work Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I am pumped to talk to another dad, another business owner, and uh, another mastermind uh, community member of a community that I love. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time, man, because I know this isn't your usual sort of job or your gig. So I very, very much appreciate the time that you're willing to spend with me. Happy to be here, Kurt. Uh, I love doing these sort of things and it doesn't really feel like a job. So it's... I know, right? <laughs> it, it should be good. the best part. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be a helpful conversation to others. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate just the the willingness because like you said, you had checked out what we do before. And so you know that, you know, we like to go in deep uh, and be vulnerable and just share because for me, that's been one of the most impactful things. Just hearing that other men have struggles like I do and not feeling alone in them. So the, the first thing that I would love to do is talk about your journey into fatherhood. Because for me, as listeners will know, it was a miserable, challenging time for me, and I was not ready at all. And on the other hand, it has been the single greatest teacher for me. It has shone a light onto all my dark shadow places. So what was your transition like? Was it fairly straightforward, or did you also have moments of struggle? Oh, plenty. Uh, I don't think any dad is ever ready, because that would imply that you've done it before, and usually most dads have not. <laughs> I've never had a kid before. So I had my first uh, during graduate school uh, in my doctoral program. And no, it was definitely not planned. It was not something I had intended. So it was definitely a struggle, but not one where I felt like giving up or like, I can't do this. But it certainly wasn't a part of the, the plan. I'd say the, the struggle at the time was probably being overly critical of myself. I think the constant struggle that I have mentally is, is being way too hard on myself. I, (laughs) I even took a day off yesterday, mental health day, because I could tell I was not having a good day. And my wife encouraged me, you know what, just take the day and do whatever you want. I think that's always been my struggle as a father, like not being the perfect dad or feeling guilty when I want to play a video game by myself and not be around my kids. But I've also learned through my journey that leaning into my guilt and shame has actually created some really powerful new actions for me as a father. It's helped me lean into what makes me a good dad versus just maybe hiding those emotions. 
You said we're going deep, so we'll get mushy gooey. <laughs> I, I was just about to say, man, I was like, okay, I got some follow-up questions. Wife supports <laughs> you with this mental health day. And then you're like, guilt and shame. Bingo. Like, let's go there. So, sure. so can you talk a little bit about what that looks like to you? Like maybe where it's come from, how you've dealt with it. And then what are those uh, positive outcomes that have come from you actually diving in there? Well, shame is like the one thing in human culture that we're, we're taught uh, as a part of a human characteristic or feeling, we're not born with shame, right? There's the saying, you know, in children, there's no guile, right? Mm. They say what they want. And that doesn't get you very far in life. You you quickly learn that, right? You eventually learn there's activities and things you do in life that you should be ashamed of because that's what society teaches you. Uh, that's what other humans do. And we mirror each other because our brains are hardwired that way. It's a deep source for me. My mother, unfortunately, went through a divorce with my biological father at the age of two. He had an affair. He didn't want to work on the marriage, so he left us. That left a deep wound on my soul. Um, I only just now realized this in my 20s. Like, holy crap, you know, I've been seeking acceptance from any, anybody and everybody for most of my life. And I did that by being a class clown, by making other people laugh. And unfortunately, what that meant for me, though, is that I was looking for an ideal picture of myself, one that could be accepted by others. And that's impossible. Chasing an ideal or perfect fatherhood is like chasing the sun or the edge of the earth or the horizon. Because, um, well, unless you're a flat earther, if you are, cool. But <laughs> when you get to the horizon, like, let me know. I want to see, like, take pictures, please, of that ice wall they keep talking about. But it's impossible. You just, you just keep arriving at a new horizon for you to reach. And uh, my father, who I, well, I should say, technically my stepfather, who I call dad, came into my life, great man, his flaw, working too hard. And I mirrored that as a, as a child and now an adult. He's a good man and I, and I want to be like him. And so I have these deep-rooted beliefs that come up when I feel like I'm not working hard. I'm not doing enough. I could be better. And all of those woulda, shoulda, coulda statements create guilt and shame and, and sometimes action, you know, to alleviate those feelings. But I'd say in recent months, I've, I've even improved on this by acknowledging them, accepting them, and taking new actions based on those negative thoughts. But uh, yeah, it all comes to probably a new place of acceptance, really, which... I'm very grateful for because it, man, <laughs> feeling guilty all the time that you're an awful dad is, um, I mean, it's not a place you want to be, right? Yeah. It's not a place that you, you should stay too long. Yeah. And that is such an important point that I like to talk about in like in one of the courses I have, we talk about mental reframes simply mm -hmm. because it's so overwhelming to constantly believe that you're at fault and you are screwing up and you should feel guilty. And so <laughs> yeah. you started off the conversation saying like, you know, you've never done this before. So how should you be an expert going into it? But we kind of just assume like, I should be an expert at this. I'm screwing up my kids. I'm doing whatever. And I felt that so hard. And so just alleviating that with the understanding that A, everything that's happened to you as a child, as you were just talking about, like your dad leaving wasn't your fault, but it's now your responsibility to do something with what you've got in life, mm -hmm. as well as you've never done this before. So cut yourself some slack as you go through this journey of fatherhood. And, you know, I, I'm starting to realize that I could just like interview you as though I'm interviewing myself because I have a very similar <laughs> story. My own father had an affair and left us when he was, when I was three. Mm. And, and thankfully, very thankfully, he stayed in my life. Mm. But that caused immense abandonment, neglect, feelings that if only I could be perfect, then maybe I would get his love. Maybe sure. he wouldn't have left. And so I'm hearing in your story, this like idea of perfectionism and performance to seek love. And so oh, yeah. where else in your life has that come? Because for me, it showed up in relationship. I tried to be the hardest badass I could to like <laughs> push people away in order for them to prove to me that they wouldn't be pushed away because they were bigger than me. So like this is the, one of these things that I've noticed. So has this perfectionism come into like any other parts of your life that you've had to root out consciously? You know, perfectionism may be a nuance of it. I think the theme of my life 
is acceptance. Seeking it, desiring it, and hopefully now in my 30s, giving it. A really great coach of mine revealed to me through some really deep conversations that the things that move me the most in life are things of acceptance. Uh, So Lord of the Rings movies, uh, I'm a huge fan. And the self-sacrifice of many of the characters is what emotionally moves me to crying because they both love and accept themselves and others and are willing to, you know, lay their life on the line for, for others. So when I think about how has this influenced me, this desire for acceptance, it's almost in practically every social interaction. As a child, I was small and I have, I've never really been large and of course, what most boys value when you grew up in the 90s was physical strength. So I had nothing, you know, to compete in that nature. And so I used my wit and my charm and every harsh word that I could do to make other people laugh or like me at the expense of others often. And um, I was a verbal bully in some ways, for sure. I, <laughs> I, I used to, I, I still joke that I tell people I was a I was a dick until I met my wife. Um, she really did change me for the good. People liked me, but if if I didn't like you, you know, I made it known. I made it known I was not a nice guy. But it forced me, all, all of this desire kind of forced me to really develop the skills that I naturally had, which was public speaking, which was the ability to persuade. I mean, hopefully the ability to make other people laugh doesn't happen all the time, but that's okay. And um, even to this day, my main business is is really about acceptance as well. It's really about getting people to accept their circumstances and change them for the better. So I would say maybe only small parts, but it it's my life's theme, fortunately or unfortunately. So when I think of acceptance, I when I think of acceptance, I go like you have to get past guilt you have to get past like the should haves and would haves and could haves and all that kind of stuff have there been specific tools practices you know working with coaches you've mentioned that actually helped you get past that because i feel like that's probably a huge block for a lot of guys going like well yeah i would get better but like i just can't accept either this happened to me or i did this so what in your experience is the path to acceptance mm, talk to a therapist <laughs> Um, that, that is certainly helpful. But for me personally, there's a statement that a friend gave me that has been constantly coming up to my mind, which is, I'm a good dad most of the time. And I don't know why for me, but that that just, that it's, it's like uh, uh, sinking in a mud bath feeling, if you like mud baths, or, you know, just like it sits really well with me. Because I, I acknowledge I'm, I'm never going to be perfect, and that's okay, and I'm going to mess up my kids. That's okay. That's how humanity works, unfortunately. But for me, I like yesterday, literally the day before this recording, I was just feeling awful, just down in the dumps. And in my misery, I was able to tell myself, I'm a good dad most of the time, and it's okay to have a day like this where I do the bare minimum. I don't have to be everything to these kids. Because if I am, I mean, they're, they're going to find out in a few years, they're, they're 10 and 7, that I'm not God, that I'm not perfect, and that I make tons of mistakes. I mean, I apologize all the time, but for them, they, they need to know dad isn't good today. So don't ask him to wrestle. Don't ask him to do bedtime story. Don't ask him to do these things because my ability to give more is depleted and that's okay. That's all right. Mm, Man, that's powerful self-talk. And that's one of the things I want to explore on this podcast eventually deeper is just like the words we say to ourselves shape our reality. And most people, most people's words are pretty shitty. And so I love hearing, <laughs> Sure, I love hearing the, just that, like that mantra. And in fact, this is a interesting synchronicity. The man I interviewed before this episode is also part of this community that you and I are part of. And he said the same sort of thing. He said, we have a mantra. And I think his was this too shall pass in the good times and the bad times. It just keeps you grounded mm-hmm. and level. And I love that 
being able to draw on I'm a good dad most of the time. <laughs> I might steal that myself. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, one of the things that came up, though, was this idea of you said something like you see these things, you accept that they're happening, and then you can do something productive with them sometimes. And there's this saying that we use in men's work and men's group, which is note, own, and then transform or move past. And so mm. all of this healing work, in my experience, starts by self-awareness. You note that there is a thing that happens. And then through acceptance, it sounds like you get to own that yep, this is me, this is how I feel, these are like my judgments. And then there's like an energy that you can move to get through that. But it starts with figuring that out, noting and owning. Were there things in your journey that allowed you to see that? Or have you always been quite introspective? Like, I'm thinking about like meditation, journaling. Were there practices that allowed you to get that self-awareness in the first place? As oblivious I can be sometimes to the things around me, I am often in tune with my effect on others. I've always been able to pick up how people feel because as a child, I trained myself to try to get people to like me as much as possible <laughs> to an annoying perspective almost. That has been helpful. But for me, what's been the most helpful as an adult is the recent realization that I'm a verbal processor. It literally happened this morning. We have... I wouldn't call it a dilemma, but it's kind of like a hiring issue. And I didn't quite know what do I need to do to process this? Like, how do, how do I figure out what the best thing is? And I thought, well, let me actually talk to my coach. I've got a business coach. And I thought, that's my action step. Okay, I'll talk with her tomorrow. And I wanted to brief her on the issue. So I made a video about it. And it was just, you know, me talking. And as I talked for literally four minutes by myself to a camera, I came up with a solution and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's what we need to do. So now what I do almost on a every other day basis um, in the mornings, I will just talk to myself and I'll ask myself, how am I doing? And what is my body saying? I've never really been, I've tried meditation. I've done it for years. I still do it now. I don't feel a huge benefit from it. I do prayer, I do exercise, I do all of these things, and I find very little benefit from it. So you probably shouldn't be amazed that the guy who loves attention, loves hearing himself talk, <laughs> loves to talk, and that is the solution. I think everyone's solutions are different, and some people swear by certain things, and all of the, the things you mentioned are great practices. Definitely try them out. Life is short. Why not try them? But... For me, um, being able to talk out loud to no one in particular has been the best mental health improvement really in the last couple of years for me. Dang, I love that, man, on so many levels, just because it's not one of the ones you usually hear. But I was reading a book on coaching just so mm. that I could get an idea of how to help men better. And one of the things the author said was that 80% of a coaching session could 80% of the value of a coaching session, I should say, would be gotten if you showed up and you were a light post or a lamp post. <laughs> I've read simply, this book. <laughs> yeah, simply because most of the issues are simply you needing to talk about it. And if you were okay talking to a lamppost, then like you'd get most of the way there. And so I love that. And I get that personally doing this, to be honest, and in my men's groups. Because like sharing what I'm thinking a, I find it like lifts the top layer of fluff off. And what's yeah. underneath is like, oh shit, there's the answers. Or simply being held in a space, like my container as a man to hold my own shit, which feels enormous at times, is it's restricted to what I believe my container is. And sometimes it's big and sometimes it's small. But when I have something that's bigger than my container feels like it can hold, having someone else to talk to, or even just saying the words out loud like you do, allows this container to grow. Either it's the room you're in, it's the men you're sitting with, and it's like suddenly someone else but me can hold all of this shit that I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So yeah, man, I, I'm very grateful that you went there. And um We'll need to remember that for my own sake and as well as the other men who are more sort of verbally oriented. Um, is there anything else that comes up on your journey just in terms of like your own self-work or healing that's been useful to you? I'm sure there are things. Nothing in particular comes to mind. Uh, okay. That's all good. I like, just I like the way you framed the um, way you process things with people. Um, the way I learned it was acknowledge, accept, action. 
the three A's yeah. of mental health. That's it. Acknowledge you feel something, accept it, because what I often do is make myself feel bad for when I acknowledge it or when I see it or feel it and take an action. What can you do to process this or, you know, just make yourself feel better because it's all in your head. You know, my, my wife has never once thought you're a bad dad. Never. <laughs> Ever. Yeah, but how many times has she in your own head? That That's the conundrum about the issue. Mm-hmm. Like, you doubt your own ability that you are a bad dad, and yet externally, everyone else feels like you, you're doing okay. You're doing just fine. And yet, you doubt your own self. So who do you, who do you listen to? Yourself or other people? Uh. <laughs> it's hard to get <laughs> out of our heads. Yeah, absolutely it is. <laughs> the The last thing on sort of this beginning bit on just your journey is I want to talk to you about apologizing to your kids. Because I heard you say you apologize frequently, and this is something that I have learned to do as well. But can you walk through what that might look like? Because I have heard men go like, well, if you apologize, you like lose the power dynamic and they see you as weak and all this kind of stuff, which in my mind is BS. But can you talk a little bit about like the process of apologizing to your child and when it's appropriate and how you do it? That's interesting. You know, when you say that, like what comes to mind is just, you know, the <laughs> like a redneck hillbilly fathering <laughs> style. Yeah. Uh, and truth be told, like I'm a redneck. Uh, I grew up in a redneck area. So like, that's not the way my dad did, but I would say he probably didn't apologize to me as much as I apologize to my kids. When it's appropriate is when you make a mistake, when you know it. And you know it. You you know when you're doing something wrong. I do it all the time because I know I'm the adult. I should be the one that's in emotionally in control. That doesn't happen all the time. I raise my voice sometimes. I, what else do I do? I mean, sometimes I'm a little bit rough with them when we rough house. Sometimes I assume things. I assume my youngest child who like is a conniving, like will do anything to not do work. I sometimes wrongfully assume the worst of her and her intentions with things. And it causes me, you know, to say something negative or overreact with perhaps a discipline. And by discipline, I mean, like, you know, timeouts typically, like that's how we, my, my daughter hates them. So we use them all the time because it gets her to change her attitude and recognize what she's doing. So when I do those things in the moment, rare, you know, maybe half the time I'm able to like immediately recognize you're over the line. You've crossed into uncontrolled territory. This is not how you should respond as an adult. Like you wouldn't do this to someone on your team to someone that you know is doing something wrong. So you need to apologize. But I I totally reject that idea that you can't apologize to your kids. Like, do you want children that aren't going to apologize for when they do wrong? Like, how idiotic? I don't know. Just, when you said that, I was like, gosh, I'd hate to meet people like that. Like, can you imagine working <laughs> with people like that, that never apologize, never take ownership, never say I did something wrong. Ugh, yuck. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, and, and and unfortunately, I've heard it, which is one of the things. Like, <laughs> I, I talk about this. I talk Ugh. about this on purpose because I think it's so important to teach them that you are fallible, that you make mistakes, that you are willing to own up to your responsibilities, which is, you know, you made a mistake. You screwed up. But you're going to take now your own responsibility rather than you know, push it onto your kids, which is the worst thing to do. Like, hey, kid, I screwed up, but like, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to make you feel shameful about it now because mm. you're going to wonder, like, what was it about me that caused dad to like scream at me? It must be something that I did, which is what kids do. Like, that's oh, yeah. so damaging. So I'm, I'm glad that you were just like, I'm glad that you were sort of rough on that, to be honest, because I like that sort of fire that dads might not hear. And like, usually only get that in like men's groups or like best of best friends. So if that is something to the listener that you struggle with, you just been called out. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And I don't want to work with you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> work with Kurt, and then and then we'll talk. Not, yeah, I don't know why you'd want to work with me. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> not after hearing that. <laughs> All right, so let, let's move on to this sabbatical. Sure, this is one of the topics that you brought up. I want to I want to know all about it. So why don't you just walk us through what this was? 
why it was, how it was. Like, can you just talk, talk to us about that story a little bit and then we'll go deeper? Yeah, sabbatical. So you may have heard of it. You may have think like, oh, isn't that something that like authors do or professors do? Like they just take time off to work on something. Well, truth be told, that's not, that's not how it originated. So a little bit of history, which I, I, I always find this fascinating. So the uh, Jewish people, right? Everyone's heard of them. Everyone knows that they've got this book, bunch of laws in it on how they're supposed to live. Well, one of the rules that was in this book was called the sabbatical year. And don't, don't quote me, I'm not a scholar on this, but just paraphrasing, hope you can accommodate that. They were told by their prophets that they were to work the land for six years, and then on the seventh year, they were supposed to rest, not do anything. And I remember learning about this and thinking like, what the heck did they do for a year? Like, they just sat around and was like, well, whatever. No, not at all. In fact, what they were meant to do during that time was to learn new things, was to experiment with new new strategies for what how they could grow and harvest more. They were supposed to, whatever fruit was yielded from uh, the land, they were supposed to give to the poor. And like just all around, what what a great, not just a mental practice, but just a better practice for a better society. And I was fascinated by this. And when I dug into the history behind it, this had been about the sixth year of me uh, working after graduation. Of course, you could probably consider going to grad school full-time work, but from I graduated in 2012 and it was 2018, and I had been side hustling all during that time and working a full-time job. And so when I quit my full-time to do business full-time, I realized I should take a year off, or maybe not a year, but at least three months. My wife loves vacations, so she was on board with the idea. And I thought, how cool would it be just to go around the entire country, live in a van, and experience America? I had never gone, well, I've been to the West Coast, excuse me, through flights, but I've never driven through it, um, hadn't been to too many national parks, and I set up my business so that it was fairly functional without me at the time, and I absolutely loved it. One of the best experiences of our family's life. I wouldn't live in a van again, <laughs> but <laughs> it was just a blast. I had such a good time with my kids, really had some great moments with them and definitely a highlight of Alex Barker's life. Mm, man, I love that idea. And I mean, this is something that I think is sort of normalized for you and I, like I traveled for two years with my kids and um, it was just amazing. Like one of the best experiences of my life. And it's like extremely unusual for the average person. So mm. were there things that you did to sort of set guardrails for business? I know you said you sort of made it somewhat operational without you, but is this something that most people can do or were, was it that the entrepreneurial life allowed you to do this? Oh, the latter working a day job, I couldn't take off more than a week at a time. And I hated that. Absolutely hated that. And there was no way that I was going to be able to do it. And the other thing too, there are some institutions that will allow sabbaticals. They have policies for it, but they are only allowed if it benefits a company, which of course makes sense. Why would they continue paying you unless you're going to do something? So you're going to get a degree, you're going to take some intensive class, you're going to write a book or something. But it's so rare that it's just unlikely to ever occur. And our American, anyway, society, you know that we're workaholics and we just can't commit to something like that. So it was totally the entrepreneur lifestyle that allowed me to do something like that. The only guardrail I had was I had a every other week meeting with my operations team, just to make sure everything's going okay, no issues. And um, there was one major issue that came up. Unfortunately, it was because uh, a team member quit. So that did require a few phone calls. <laughs> yeah, that was messy, but <laughs> I'm, uh, reliving that past is not fun. But um, yeah, that, that was the only major issue and it worked out just fine. We business did well without me considering I didn't work for three months. Yeah. So you did no work other than these calls. Yeah. You know, phone call every other week and maybe an email or two, but you know, I didn't have my phone 
Well, I, I had my phone, but I didn't check email or, you know, do anything like that. It was awesome. Just existed, you know, in a van, of course. Yeah. Pros and cons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was a, it was just a, it was just a blast waking up every day and deciding what are we going to do today? Eh, we'll figure it out, you know, and uh, got to see a lot of America. It was great. Amazing. I I would like to talk to you about like making the jump from working to operating your own business and like making the mental changes that might have needed to happen to go along with that. But before we get there, because what I'm trying to do here is allow people to see what's possible. But I also want to know, like, what else did you do? Like, what was awesome about your sabbatical? What were some of the highlights? What did you learn? Because there must have been like lessons that popped up about family, parenting, business, uh, what were some of those highlights that, that really stick out about this time? Retrospectively, one of the lessons was is that we did want to be more location independent. Obviously, COVID has put you know quite a damper on that. We were planning on next month actually traveling to Costa Rica, but because of the pandemic, we've decided to not. So we haven't really been able to like fulfill that desire, but it's it's coming and we're working on it. So that's one thing. But I I think it was just the the small, quiet moments, having conversations with our kids right before going to bed, you know, talking with them about life. And there was nothing really intentional. You know, you read some of these books about like being an intentional father and it kind of gives us perception off. You constantly have to make use of every moment, every day, always being intentional. And, um, yeah, kids get tired of that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what kind of kids grow up in those environments, but not ones that I would want to be, because that means everything in life has to be purposeful. And, um, I don't, I don't know who those, those thought leaders are because like most of life is full filled with meaningless junk and fun and misery. And so the quiet moments with my kids talking with them about life, what they do, what they want to do when they grow up, or why do bugs exist, was just building a deep relationship with someone I love. And um, it was, I mean, it was fantastic. It probably set in motion for me as well, just the time at night with my kids. At first, I didn't like it. But now what I do with my my kids is because of that, I, right when we put them to bed, I, I hang out with them in bed for like, I don't know, half hour, sometimes an hour. Most of the time it's wrestling. Um, but then we do a story and then we talk about stuff. And, and that's created a lot of really great conversations. I'm sure you're the expert on this, but I've read the statistics about like marriages that break down because like they only spend like 30 minutes a week talking with each other. And I was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine talking to my, my wife for only 30 minutes right uh, a week yeah like i'd have to i'd have to make up stuff to do i'd have to go away from my house yeah and have like i don't know an affair to like go away <laughs> from her that much are you kidding me like that's insane so you know just building deep relationships by being intentional i guess <laughs> with yeah. uh nighttime that's a great lesson that's perfect um and actually the follow-up question to that was like what did you take from that to like go into your everyday life now and it seems like that exactly was what i was going to ask and so you've answered that is there anything else that you're like from this experience i'm going to do more or i'm going to like let go of this was there anything that you surrendered or let go of because of this you know not right away but now that i think about it i, I think the hustle are you doing this business full-time or do you have a, a full-time job as well or a part-time job? I've got other businesses that, <laughs> that that keep this going for now. And the, yeah, the goal is to make this into the full-time thing so that I can serve more guys and just like be on it all the time without going like, I got to stop doing this because you got to pay the bills. Uh, so yeah, you. I've got, I've got other businesses. I've, you know, sold some other businesses. So mm. yeah, that's where we're I, at. I feel that pain. I think what, now I feel that transfer. It didn't happen right away, but now what I feel is that the hustle habit became destructive for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked full time, did a 20 hour plus side hustle, working evenings, mornings, weekends, and it created this habit within my mind that in order for me to fix a problem, 
I have to get into it and I have to work my magic on it. That's really changed now that my teams have grown. And I would have to say I work a lot smarter than harder. That's been very transformational because it's, it's gotten me to the point where I only work, you know, 20 hours a week, maybe. And like you, I have other businesses and side projects and other things that are fun, but I'm able to do them because I don't work like a dog anymore. Um, Perhaps that's one of the major changes that I, I don't think I immediately put those two and two together until now. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Let's go back to getting here in the first place, because I know this is an aspiration for a lot of men and it's like, where do you even start? Did you have bunch of savings did you know exactly the type of business you were going to do has this Mm. always been something you wanted to do like what was your transition and then we'll sort of talk about mental reframes and stuff along the way uh no i i i wanted to be a comedian actually when i was a kid i used to make videos like this is pre-youtube so i i was doing that before youtube and i missed that train unfortunately i decided to go down the safe and easy way Math and science were my thing. So pharmacist makes six figures and you don't have to touch blood, butts, or guts. Cha-ching, you know? Sure, <laughs> that sounds like an easy gig. Did it, was smart enough to pass all the stuff. And as soon as I started practicing, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is not creative. This is not very fun. I could eventually become a professor and maybe do some fun stuff. But boy, did I, I don't like academics. The politics, the bureaucracy, the waiting. Ugh. So during my residency, I discovered podcasting and I discovered leadership and I business. And I was like, whoa, there's this whole world out here that I've never heard about. And um, I got to get into it. So I did almost anything and everything to make money online. You know, I chased the smart passive income dream and I chased... <laughs> Dude, that is where I started. That was the first <laughs> site I went to and found like, yep. oh, you can make money online? Sweet. Yeah. Yep. I did the same thing. Um, I sold stickers. I sold kids' wheelchairs. I sold um, online content. I did coaching, consulting. I had a social uh, media company for a while. And I made some money, but all during the time, I just kept focusing on different things because my creativity was like exuding energy and like any new idea was the best idea. And it was right before 2017 that um, a friend and coach told me, you know, Alex, I I think you're missing something. You need to focus. And I had a lot of shame and guilt about that because I felt like the people who I started with were now doing their things full time. And it's like, what's wrong with me? Why haven't I been able to do it? And I had a lot of shame about that. So I leaned into it and I discovered my zone of genius, which was, hey, it's coaching. Hey, it's speaking. Hey, it's pharmacist. Cause that's what you are. I rejected that for a long time. I had a huge identity crisis. Not, uh, I wouldn't, not a crisis, an identity chip on my shoulder. Because I felt betrayed. I felt like, what did I become? I'm nothing like these pharmacists. I'm really not. I'm, if you find another pharmacist like me, like it's very, it's very rare personality wise. And so um, I had a hard time with that. But once I said, all right, I'm going to be the pharmacist career coach and I'm going to dedicate myself to doing it. And, and, and if I cannot replicate income, Uh, in 18 months, then I will quit this and I will try something else. I'll go work for someone else. And luckily within 10 months, I was able to start paying myself regularly. Did that for about six months. And my wife and I said, okay, we believe in this. We can do it. Let's save up our emergency fund. And by August, 2018, I quit my job, took a three-week vacation, which I I haven't been able to do since I was in school, you know, because of summer. And, um, it was, it was awesome. It was great. Not always amazing. I I do feel like a lot of entrepreneurs love talking about how awesome business is without talking about how much it sucks too. There have been lots of scary moments, lots of, um, doubt, doubts of like, 
oh no do i have to go get a job like i don't want to work again oh man i, I don't want to go that. i'd rather I'd just give me a job at mcdonald's i don't want to be a pharmacist again <laughs> and it's always worked out it's always worked out and uh very blessed really to be where i am i mean i'm able to do this right this is not like probably there's not a pharmacist listening maybe there is to your <laughs> podcast i have no idea probably not but like this is not related at all, but it's fun for me. And then that's what business allows you to do if you do it right anyway. But that's kind of the journey and the, the transformation I've, I've had to go through to achieve this dream. Yeah, man, the, um, the shame of not being where the other people you started with are is real, dude. Like I was there too. Yeah. I am in many ways still there. And I like to justify it. I go like, well, I traveled for a couple of years. I've got kids. These other guys don't have kids. Right, I, right. Like, I put like full-time effort into like unscrewing myself because I was so miserable all the time. So like mm. in a work capacity, I just put all the work inside and like, you know, kind of dealt with the business stuff and stayed afloat and it was good. Mm. And, you know, I'm also very fortunate that I've been able to pay for everything and have for 10 years. So like I'm doing pretty well. Uh, yeah, on the other hand, that's good. Like leaning into that zone of genius, I want to talk about that a little bit because I, sometimes I wonder about that for myself. Like, what is it that I am uniquely good at? Where should I focus? Because I'm pretty good at everything. And that's kind of a curse. <laughs> you know, like, and you're humble. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's part of it too. <laughs> well, th this is very true for me. Like I am very good at almost everything I do. And that mm. causes me to just think that I should do everything. Mm. And it's disallowed me from uh, delegating properly in many ways. Mm. And so how did you lean into that shame? Like, what do you mean? I leaned into it, found my zone of genius. That's like, sweet. Like, I want to do that too. How, how did you do that? <laughs> The zone of genius, it's honestly a term that I've stolen from Gay Hendricks, who is way smarter than I am on the subject. He's got some excellent books out there. I recommend them for anyone who's interested in this topic. I've slightly modified it into career stuff. A zone of genius simply implies that it's the place where your greatest gift to the world is given at its fullest. That's my own interpretation of it. And... A zone of genius is, it's a place where the work doesn't feel like work. You feel satisfied by how you're being compensated. When people experience it or whatever that it is, they go, wow. Maybe not everybody, because some people are going to hate your guts, because that's how life works. <laughs> but some people are going to say, wow, that, that was something special, what you did. And I think like you, sometimes when you're doing business or you're side hustling, you get this notion that you have to do everything. Perhaps this kind of comes down to acceptance as well. And the subject we talked about previously with kids that you have to take on everything. The burden belongs on you because you're the man or you're the father. Or you're, you're the guy. But I know my shortcomings. They are plentiful. And I don't want to get good at them because I'll never be great at them. Right. Yes. I bought onto the idea very early that it would make more financial sense to pay someone less than I would pay myself to do a job better than I could do it. And so I hired a VA, I think in 2013. Um, she's been with me ever since then. And oh, um, that's unusual. Yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah. She is amazing. Um, she's my, operations manager within my career coaching company, but then her and I actually have another business as well, basically outsourcing virtual assistants. And there's so much in this world that I hate doing. So why do I want to waste my limited time on this earth doing it? I hate taxes. I hate reading email. I hate social media. I, what else do I hate? <laughs> um, I hate written communication. I hate checking details, reading contracts. And hiring operational people has been the best decision ever because all I have to do is just tell them, do this. And then they do it and they love it. That's the weird thing to me is they love doing that kind of stuff. For me, oh man, I couldn't think of a worse way to spend my mornings, my afternoons, my evenings than doing the work they do. But they love it. And there's people out there who love all sorts of work. 
they are working in their zone of genius. And I love finding people that, you know, just don't try to convince me you can do something, but do you live it? Do you live and breathe it? So when I hire my salespeople, you know, tell me about what, how you convince others to do something that you want. (laughs) Tell me about how you interact with your family. So I've just learned my zone of genius has been really talking and being genuine, being me, really. I'm not an introvert. I'm not an organized person. I'm not any of those things. And so by finding that role, I was able to lean into it, do that kind of work. Coaching was a part of it, but that's not where I feel energized when I'm done. Like when I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to feel energized. I have a webinar tonight. I know when I'm done, yeah, it's going to be stressful. But at the end of it, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, all right. I feel good. I feel really good. Kind of like drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's that been my own personal journey, I guess, through delegation. Mm, yeah, that's, that's amazing, man. What, go ahead. You're going to say something else. Probably, but I've forgotten it. Great. Well, that was... Uh... <laughs> Okay, um, let's go to the last thing we're going to talk about. I think we got like six minutes left. Uh, You made a note on like the distinction between a healthy business and a healthy family and maybe not the distinction, the relation between those two things. Do you want to just riff on that for a little while? What do you see as being a healthy business and like how does that relate at all to your family? You know, I think the core of that is values. How you treat Others is a reflection of how you treat your family and vice versa. In fact, one of our dilemmas recently in our business is, should we hire this salesperson? There's a certain person who we know very well, and he has a ton of very viable assets. We know if we hire this guy, he is probably going to make us quite a bit of money, and we will certainly benefit from it. But he is not a fit for our company. He does not fit into what we value. One of our values in in the career coach company, specifically I'm talking about, is fun. If something isn't fun, you you need to figure out how to delegate it, eliminate it, or systematize it. That's our, you know, that's our solution to those kind of things. He's not a fun guy. He is a a workaholic, great guy, insanely organized. But if he was to join our culture, he would shift it. People would have conflict with him. And how we treat this situation, deciding on whether or not we want to include someone into it, despite the fact that it would probably go against our value, is the same way that I treat my family. What we allow or don't allow in our family is a reflection of what we believe in. And so, for example, I have to continually teach my youngest daughter that complaining isn't right. Complaining isn't right. It's true, it stinks, and it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel frustrated by something, but complaining about it, that we're not there yet, that you don't have this video game, that your cousin has a cell phone, you don't, that's fine. But there are solutions to fixing this problem for every problem. They may not be perfect, but there are solutions, and that's where the focus needs to be. So I would say, you know, if you, especially if you run your own business, how you treat your family is also probably how you treat your, I don't want to say business family, because it's not a family, it's business. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the relationships are so similar that they may as well be a pseudo family. That's, I think, what we believe. Yeah. And what I'm downloading is like, get clear on your values and then be consistent with applying them in both cases. Yeah, that's hard. Especially if you don't believe in apologizing. You got a lot stacked against you at that point. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess even the meta point is what you're saying is like, get, get, get better values if your values suck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And if you never thought about it, I think you just have to ask yourself, what do I value? And, and if you don't know how to an- ask that question or answer it, excuse me, look at your checkbook and look at your calendar. Look at what yes, you do what you and look at what in. you spend your money on. And exactly. they're... That, that's how I discovered this year, honestly, that fun was such a priority for me because we, we have an annual retreat and we were reassessing our mission and our values and, and all that. And I realized like, you know, what's missing here is fun because everything that's not fun to me, I 
complain a little bit to my team and then we figure out what to do about it. I say, oh, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Okay, I'll do it. Great. Oh, awesome. That's exactly what I was about to ask. Because <laughs> <laughs> they love that. Uh, maybe not everything that I asked them to do, but we should have had them come on to the podcast. That would have been an interesting conversation. <laughs> Is all of this true? Everybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. What, whatever Alex says. But yeah, if look at your time, look at your money. Where's it going? That's what you value. That's what you value. So, yeah, great reminder. That's the actions that made for this podcast. How about that? There you go. Uh, let's let's leave it there. If you don't know what your values are, a write them down. B if you don't know how to find them, look where you spend your time and spend your money. Fantastic way to end. Alex, this has been a ton of fun. And in case there is a slew of pharmacists who are like, oh, this is the best <laughs> podcast in the world. Where can they find you? And maybe even if you're on like, I know you hate social media, where can people find more? Oh, we're on social media. It's just, it's, it's not me. It's not, it oh, isn't no. me. It's my, okay, I'll, I'll it's cut my, this out. Don't worry. It's no, my team. <laughs> no, they, people know it. People know it's, it's my team handling things. Um, yeah, you can go to the happy farm D P H. ARMD.com. Uh, that is our uh, career coaching company for pharmacists. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with people there. Um, you'll have a conversation probably with my VA, but happy to as well to eventually talk with people in real life as well. So yeah, that, that, that'd be how to find me. Sweet. Alex Barker on LinkedIn and the happy PharmD. Is that what I heard? Mm-hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Okay, Alex, this has been a ton of fun. You are indeed uh, a fun person, and I feel that from you. So thank you for just like showing up, man. I really, really appreciate the time. It was a blast. Thanks for chatting with me. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world. To find out more about everything that we talked about in the episode today, including show notes, resources, and links to subscribe, leave a review, work with us, go to dad.work slash pod. That's D-A-D dot W-O-R-K slash P-O-D. Type that into your browser, just like a normal URL, dad.work slash pod. You'll find everything there you need to become a better man, a better partner, and a better father. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.